Welcome to our next episode of the 5 Moments of Need Performance Matters series. This is Bob Mosier, one of the many co-hosts you'll meet throughout this series. So friends, are you trying to learn more about the 5 Moments of Need? Maybe how to design for them, implement for them, measure them, and even sell them as an approach to your enterprise. Well, in the Performance Matters series, we will help you better understand the theory and best practices behind this powerful methodology. So friends, welcome back to another version of the Performance Matters podcast. Bob Mosier here. We are on our 71st broadcast. It just <laughs> staggers me, Carol, to think that. <laughs> yeah. uh, back when we started this poor thing, we didn't know if we'd do four a year, let alone be at 70 now. But it's really been wonderful. Feedback's been terrific. We so appreciate um, everyone, what everyone's been telling us. Let us know how we're doing. This is all about helping you advance your journey in five moments in workflow learning and pivoting on performance. Uh, many of our topics, themes, and speakers have come from feedback. So please, by all means, let us know how they can go. Well, today, I'm joined by a dear friend, hero of mine in the business, maybe one of the more devoted people outside of outside of the man himself to the principles that are five moments and has been seriously instrumental in advancing this for us in her great work. Honored to have her on our team, one of our senior consultants and strategists, Carol Stroud. Carol, welcome. Hi, Bob. Good to be here today. Well, tell us where you're sitting, Carol. Where I am. Um, <laughs> I'm in the Pacific Northwest. Oh, I don't know, a day or so travel north of Seattle in the islands between Vancouver Island and the mainland Canada. So we're on a boat working from the boat for the last couple of months. So it's been a great learning experience up here. Oh, remarkable. Thanks to Mr. Musk yeah. and, the, and yes. that remarkable technology, right? <laughs> it, I mean, it's amazing. Starling. This is like yep. 5G stuff. I, you can't see me because this is a podcast, but I'm looking at Carol on video. There's no no delay. It's just remarkable. So thanks, yeah. friends. So appreciate you taking the time to join us. So, so I, I did a little introduction. Can you, would you mind sharing your journey here? Why, why do you find this whole thing so powerful. And today we're on deeper on strategy, right? which you know is a passion of yours. But give us a little bit of your pedigree and getting here and why this has been so transformational for you. Would you mind? Sure, sure. I, uh, I am an old school instructional designer. I studied e-learning whoop, back <laughs> in the day, but found e-learning didn't go far enough. So what I wanted to do was a greater impact in the workflow. E-learning and academics and that stuff was all right, but it didn't transfer well as far as I was concerned, into corporate learning and what people needed at work. And once I learned about the five moments of need, that's what made sense to me that when I was thinking about someone who was in the workflow, what do they need and how do we set them up for success in the workflow, not take them out of the workflow to do academically based kind of training? How do we help them with the new e-learning, essentially, with being able to be self-sufficient in the workflow. And there was a whole, I learned from Khan, a whole design around how you make that happen, a methodology, because the design of the materials are really important mm. uh, when you're working with somebody who's in that chaotic day-to-day -day yeah. workflow environment and that cognitive overload. So really, for me, this became designing for cognitive overload. And how do we do that the best way? And it's the five moments and the enable methodology that resulted in that. That got me into implementation at the very tactical level, right? And that's how this all started. As a, a tactical implementer, I was doing battle <laughs> at, the front, <laughs> at, at those front stages of trying to change the putting out something that was more effective for people in the flow of work. Once we started implementing change and making 
good results there at that tactical level. Then it this ripple happened. The five moments of need methodology was the pebble in the pond. Mm. Once we dumped it in, then all sorts of things started sort of a, an outflow of it. And it was, I've been doing this now for 15, 16 years, I think. And it it's the study of that outflow that has grown more for me because the methodology, it's a great idea to change the way people are doing business. However, that has results that come from it. And the development of our implementation framework came about as a way to capture that. And what did it look like and what did we need to pay attention to to help uh, ensure success in our organizations? So that's how that all kind of came together. You know, and as we've matured together, friend, in this journey, I mean, I met you early in that in those days. And, I, and I, I've you know, been on this with you is that it, it's not a happenstance. And, it, and it's definitely not, for me, falling back on old ways and just doing a little nip and tuck. There's a there's a transformation here. I, we use that word a lot in our in our business, but it, but it has been transformational for me. And I think it's transformational for those listening to understand that there are intentional elements or capabilities, as we call them, that you have to pay attention to or, or you'll fall back on old habits, old ways and old tools and such will will win the day because uh, people come at you often. That's all they know. And that's what they've been taught to ask for. So there's a lot there's a lot of things involved in this journey. We break it into three capabilities. You've helped us in in the definition of this. Chris did a brilliant job in a a podcast prior to this about the technology lift. There's clearly the tactical side, which Sue Reaver will join us for on on a podcast as well. We have to re-engineer our team. We have to tactically make this work. But I think the most powerful thing for me as a L&D person is the strategy side. We really are change agents in this. And there's a there's a strategic thinking that goes into this. And you've helped us break that down. Help us in this context, Carol, define that. What do we mean when we say the strategic capability of this and its relationship maybe to tactical and technical? Oh, sure. So tactical is the great idea, right? What we want to <laughs> do. In some cases, technical is what do we need to do to support it? How are we going to support it via technology? And strategic really makes you look at your organization differently. I think Mm -hmm. it's about determining who are your partners, who do you need, who are your friendlies, who are your not so (laughs) friendlies, how do you make them friendlies, and how do you work together to ensure we remove the barriers that get in the way of the tactical and technical implications, implementations. Now, it's funny because I think so often in L&D, we fall short in this capability, candidly. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. we, be, we become viewed too tactically, yes. right? And, and how many times do you hear, boy, I wish they'd walk in my office way earlier than this to ask, well, that, that's not a strategic, that's not being seen as a strategic partner. That's being seen as a tactical partner Correct. because now I'm down in the weeds of the doing, so make me a course, Correct. right? This, this is a real fundamental shift in how we're seen in the conversations we host. Yes, and it uh, it requires strong leadership and mm-hmm. it requires that tactical implementer, that person who brings this great idea to the organization to, in some cases, kind of lead from behind and bring that idea up to their leaders who then can get the champions on board and your yep. C-suite champions because it's got to go up and across the topic. Just can't stay in your channel because or your line of business because you have to play nicely with technology. You have to play nicely with the finance guys. We all have to have those right conversations with the people who have the right decision rights in order to ensure that things can move smoothly. 
I think we also have to get be seen impacting across the organization, right? Yes. Not be yes. seen as a one-hit wonder or get siloed by the thing that we create because we've seen before in our work when that champion leaves or that project comes to a close, it doesn't have the reach or the impact or become a learning approach or a learning culture, if I go that, if I might go that broad, in impacting the organization. It sort of remains as a product when yeah. in actual fact you need a whole mind shift change. Mm. Because when, and when we get going into strategic, those are the capabilities that we're looking at. There's three key capabilities. One is business partnership and governance. So that sort of speaks to playing nicely together and collaboration. Governance for sure gets us into what are the right structures? Are they in place? And are you at the table, at the right table? The way in which the methodology articulates all the workflows, because it's based on workflow, that ties directly into continuous improvement at that strategic level, which in a way has never been available. The opportunity to hit continuous improvement at that workflow level has not been articulated previously. So mm. that's something else that comes to the table. And then at the business partnership governance structure is about the money. You know, so how are they? One of those governance decisions is what money is going to be invested in where, right? So you have to be at the table to be able to have that capability to be able to bring the pieces of the puzzle together at that business partnership and governance level. The other piece of strategy, we have measurement and change leadership. So measurement falls into two categories. One is how effective is your team? Mm. And are they working well? So that speaks to in tactical, we had the methodology, but we also had project management and change management. Well, mm -hmm. project management helps your team be more effective so you can measure at that strategic level how well are you doing. The other measurement you want to do is how impactful are your solutions being? How are you helping the organization meet its vision, mission, goals and objectives? And in order to make that happen, you need change management. So that's how it ties down into change management at the tactical level. So measurement, and of course, is really reliant on technology to be able to gather that data, have it in and collecting the right information to turn the data into information so that decisions can be made. So that's how technical capabilities tie into all of this. The last piece, and I think that's where I was trying to get to, is the change. Organizations, everybody's heard that, right? You have to change to survive. So we make sure that we've got the right change capabilities. That's what we were looking at. What does it look like in our leadership? What are those characteristics and what are they kind of looking at to ensure that they're staying ahead of what their needs are instead of being proactive to it, instead of being reactive. And uh, those change leaders are really important because they're the ones who are out there building the support. They're communicating the what not only in their language and the things they're saying, but in their behaviors and what they're doing. So between business partnership measurement and change leadership, that sets those, that group of capabilities sets an organization up into a better position to implement the change recommended by putting workflow or learning into the workflow. So, so let me pivot on some nuggets here. The workflow. When I saw my first RWA, Carol, I was aghast. At how, <laughs> uh -oh. And this is, this is 20 years into my career, at least, right? And I've done Addy to death. I built the learning. I was a part of one of the first companies that did it. You know, that type, blah, 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 blah. Decent stand-up trainer, wrote a lot of curriculum. And I'm in the back of the room going, where are we going with this? 
you know, we got these SMEs in here. Why aren't we filling whiteboards with stuff? You know, why aren't we talking about all the things people need to know and, the, 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 you know, the classic stuff. And where I'm going with this, Carol, is I think that pivot on workflow changes that business partnership relationship Absolutely. in a yeah. way that's unbelievable. In the old days, if I may, people almost felt like they were doing me a favor or, you know, to stay in the room with me long enough to, that I had an outline to build. But then they kind of washed their hands a bit. Yeah. When, when, we, when you begin with this workflow discussion, the partnership forged with the business, the way you're seen as a partner with the business, I think it's very different and very unique. Have you seen that or do you see that as a significant pivot? Yeah, yeah. And it is the pivot as far as I'm concerned. If you're not articulating a workflow and working to support that workflow, then I'm not sure what you're doing because it's the (laughs) workflow that provides value back to the organization, right? The organization is in business for a reason and the way in which it achieves its success is through successful completion of workflow. Otherwise, I don't know what you're doing. (laughs) You're kind of hanging around. So when we think, oh, yeah, well, I did e-learning and I did this. uh, But e-learning to do what? What performance was it meant to support? So we talk, uh, you said it, well, they needed to know a lot of stuff. But was knowing stuff good enough? And I don't think any organization pays their people to just know stuff (laughs) without an expectation that they can do something that's good for the organization around it. So I think for me, the articulation of the workflow is everything, because that also is how the organization measures its success. So if you're able to create an impact into that workflow and measure that impact, now I think you're making a difference. And putting a digital coach in place, for example, or targeted training in place that is all about supporting a workflow, now you're making impact. If you haven't got it tied to a workflow, I'm not sure how you measure impact. And it, it's amazing how many RWAs I've sat through, Carol, where, let's say, of existing curriculum or or it's another version iteration of a software. And you look back and what was taught prior to this approach, there's a lot of waste. Yeah. There's a lot of things that without that context, well, of course we should teach that. Well, maybe, well, maybe not. But without that workflow context, and it also amazes me how many organizations, businesses don't have visibility to their actual workflows, right? I mean, I'm not even talking the deliverable or the digital coach, but I've finished more RWAs or seen them where the line of business is like, holy cow. Yeah. We had processes. We did all this mapping. We assumed that was the workflow and it was not. Not correct. And it's a very different conversation. Do lots of work RWAs as well. And it's started to input, well, what's the output of this process? And once you start saying, well, we're going to do all this, but then, you know, what actually gets created out of that, that feeds into the next process. Then we start getting really crunchy with it because you can still be in a lot of understand or review without (laughs) being very uh, concrete about what actually gets produced. And as soon as you start tying it back to what value is this producing to the organization and asking those questions, that's when you start clearing out some of that mud and start getting very specific. It's a wonderful yeah. process. I love the RWA. It's, it's, it, it, it's the crux. Everything flows downstream from it, doesn't Correct. it? Right. Yes. And, and yep. so let's roll down into measurement a bit deeper. I mean, I chased ROI for my entire professional career and I, I knew Phillips. I knew Kirkpatrick, understood him conceptually. And I tried to square peg round hole a class or any learning in the worst possible way. Right. But finally, something came along to me and said, look, you're not you can infer or you can yeah. imply, 
but cause effect nah, yeah. you know how does this how does this strategically change how we're seen from an impact or measurement perspective when it comes to what we what we deliver or do i think it's all about context right so that because our context is that workflow any of the measurement is within that context and I, all the other stuff like i said if it's if it's not about what are people doing that provides value to the organization then well what did gloria say you can just weigh them right <laughs> gloria gary because for me it has to be tied back into the value stream a business value stream and the only way you can do that is by actually saying these are the things you need to do to do your job, and therefore we can measure against those. The other thing is that when we work, like you said, we're not single silos, right? Yep. The more you do a rapid workflow analysis, the more you're mapping each piece of DNA of an organization, mm, and each okay. one connects and ties into the next. So the more we get them mapped, the more organizations can see, because actually it's kind of fun doing an RWA and you hit something and go, oh, well, this step here, so-and-so in this organization in your business also does a piece related to this. So now we're actually able to map how an integrated, a fully integrated picture of how the organization does business. And it's that integrated picture that feeds the strategic side of the implementation framework. Because you're not only looking at just silos of business, you're saying, how does this all come together to achieve the overall objective for the organization. So it's the multiples, it's not the singles, it's the multiples that create the impact that can be measured. You always do such a remarkable job of hosting the governance conversation. And I make I poke fun at it with you sometimes. I know. But but, <laughs> but, but the reality is the it's the foundation of this thing that holds it all together, right? It gets down and dirty quick. When you're in the workflow, it's mucky and there's a lot to it. And managing the assets that come from the analysis and the orchestration, these are words we use, right, of the digital coach and the true blend, I think now, of the experience that leads to impact you got to have some controls. You got to have some guardrails. And how do you host the governance conversation, Carol? How do you bring it's such a it's such a new word to a lot of L&D folks, candidly. Yeah. But how do you help them dip their toe in it? I think we see governance differently, Bob. I see governance at that strategic level about who's got the rights to make decisions about things. And maybe this is where we can fill this down to where it does tie into asset maintenance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is, sure. I think that's what you were asking about, because governance then in this context would be if an L&D department is creating these assets, a digital coach asset. And like you said, all the assets that go into the digital coach, a governance conversation is going to be about who's going to maintain that. Yep. Right. So is it the line of business who's going to own it? If the line of business is going to own it, here comes the ripple effect. What technology skill sets does the line mm. of business have mm. that they can use to keep their content up to date? Because if yep. you're using a system to build a digital coach that the line of business can't use <laughs> or they don't have the people or they don't have the skill set, 
then you've got an ownership issue there for the ongoing life cycle of this stuff that has to be resolved. And that's where the governance comes to the table to say, well, what is the right technology? So you have to have a much bigger mindset, mind thinking about how the different pieces of the puzzle fit together from content generation to content maintenance, because L&D team should be implementing a digital coach as a project. And right. a project then gets handed over to operations. And that's where that ownership of content now, that conversation has to happen, which is why you get into the, the governance conversation. It hits on technology, hits on methodology, hits on measurementing and continuous improvement. So I think you're correct in saying, well, where does maintenance fit in all of this? Well, maintenance fits because it has to be maintained. It has to survive. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. the end goal is maintaining current content. So how do we make that happen? But you also take, to your point earlier, you also take, a, that's an element, right? And it bleeds into content management, frankly, and, that, and, and yes. the principles of that. But I love where you're going from a strategic perspective is there's governance in an enterprise. There's governance of authority. There's governance of decision-making and so on. And, and again, an area I don't know if we've wandered into when we get mired in the training deliverable. What's your thinking around that kind of looking at governance in an organization? At the training deliverable level? Well, at the, at the organizational level, you know, as you're working oh. with, with stakeholders and so on, when you yeah. get into the, what, what's that layer, which I think is foreign to us in many ways? Uh, yes, because I think as order takers, it was pretty cut and dried, right? You just do an e-learning thing and maybe some organizations say, well, when I've asked, they don't revisit and maintain. <laughs> but uh, learning in the flow of work doesn't work if it's not current. Mm. So in order to be able to have an agreement you have to, that's why the governance structures at the strategic level are so important that if you're going to be working with an operational line of business, you have to have agreement across the board that yeah. are going to take this on and own it because there is the, a cost to it, right? They need to invest the resources to maintain it. What we look for, though, is the fact that when you implement a digital coach and it's up and it's functioning, that is way more, I believe cost effective than continuing to do training all the time sure. uh, because the cost of training and the value of the training and the stickiness of the training is we all know is pretty limited but if you are training to look it up look up the answer and the digital coach is kept current then you recoup costs from not um, developing more and more e-learning you're creating a situation that somebody hits the self-serve and can go in and find what they need when they need it. But you have to have an agreement across that C-suite about yeah. the approach. We talked to some folks who are, you know, they're coming in, we think it's a great idea and at the L&D team level, and yet they say, well, our VP, he's not paying any attention. He's not interested. He just sees us as a training shop. And I'm going, Ooh. Yeah. Then right. I think you got a little bit of a problem there, because uh, if that's what that thinking is, then you're really going to have some barriers in front of you to try to break down. So we have people who listen to this who are learning leaders, who oversee a team, who are at the C-suite, I-E-C-L-O. I love change leadership. I'll be honest, I hadn't heard it a lot. <laughs> it's a change management, sure, but change leadership, how you define that and what are the key components of it, in your opinion, in this capability? For change leadership, we've got it under two, uh, respond to adaptive challenges and challenge the status quo. 
challenge the status quo is the first thing, right? That you can't, yeah. and I just mentioned the fact, you know, but our VP sees us as a training shop. Well, if, if you haven't got a VP who's willing to challenge that status quo, then you're kind of yeah. not going anywhere. But in order to be able to challenge the status quo, they have to have their head up and looking out. Uh, that's the respond to adaptive challenges part. In the context of making value, adding value at the value stream level of the organization, as opposed to we just deliver training, then your change leader is looking at the external opportunities and internal opportunities for the organization to be better. How are they mm -hmm. going to get ahead of their competitors or mm -hmm. how are they going to fix some issues that are pulling them down? So you have to have those change leaderships who are out there and willing to look and see where the problems are and willing to look to see where those opportunities are, knowing that they can function and make a difference at that workflow level. You know, that's a tool we're giving them in their toolbox that because we can articulate how your organization does business, when you see a performance problem, we can dig down to help resolve that performance problem. So we're really relying on those change leaders to say, yeah, status quo is not working. Right. Or look at this opportunity around the corner. AI is yep. wagging its head there. What can we do to bring this and how is this going to affect our organization? Lots of leaders. I've spoken to leaders who felt, well, my job is to stop change, you know, to manage right. pain, right. change and not let it happen to keep equilibrium. But in actual fact, for a change leader, you need someone who's willing to upset that equilibrium yep. for the better of the organization, not just to upset, upset it, but to help meet those organizational goals and objectives. If not, you're getting behind the power curve pretty fast, right? Yep. At the rate of change of organizations now, if you haven't got somebody who's running and staying ahead and bringing it back to you saying, OK, here's what we're seeing. How can we use this to our advantage? And usually we can turn that around quite easily by saying, well, what is it we want people to be able to do? And yeah. as soon as they bring that to the table and we ask those questions, then we can articulate it. We know how to solve for it. So, yeah, it's a really critical piece because if you've got the folks who within our implementation framework, we have our maturity model, right? Level one to four. And level one is people, leaders aren't even looking for something different. They don't even realize they need to do things differently. Training is always work. We don't need to do anything differently. And yet I think the pandemic really showed us, yep, <laughs> I think we need to be a bit more agile and be able to respond more quickly to our opportunities that are coming our way or you know, not opportunities, yeah. and we still have to be able to survive this. So, so to survive um, in a state of change, yes, and 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 to see the change coming, and knowing that change, oh, by the way, will also beget more change, rather than yeah. the rather than the solve for change, and have none, right? The yes. plateau is yeah. not in the current state successful or long term. Right. Yeah, it can't be not at the rate of just change in general that's going on out there. I think it, to be in business, and it's been this way for a long time, right? Yeah, I don't think any anybody would say, oh, yeah, we don't I'll always ask that question. And then nobody says, oh, no, we don't have any change going on in our Yeah, well, you know, there, when, <laughs> one of my favorite quotes from a senior leader in pharma during the pandemic was, we finally realized we can't train our way out of this anymore, if we ever yeah. could. <laughs> you know, and that's yeah. a brilliant insight. If we ever could. It, it's a yes. brilliant insight, right? And, and, and so... Yeah. 
And that's really what a, how a change leader, I, lo I love those words again, thinks. They lead through change. They lead through seeking out change, through bringing on change when it needs to upset the status quo. That's real change leadership, right? Yeah. Change management is about sort of the implementation of right. those new right. ideas. Change leadership gets yeah. us to those new ideas. And it's a very active approach to what's mm. happening in an mm. organization's environment. And being, you know, and being really comfortable there, frankly, right? And and and, and yeah. as a as a leader, stabilize that in the midst of change. So friend, when, when someone yes. listens to this, business partnership governments, measurement, change leadership huge parts of this capability, where do they start? Where would you recommend people dip their toe in this, having heard us go across these areas? Is, is there a crawl walk run in this that they should think about, maybe consider taking on first or being comfortable with? I think I initially, what I would be looking for is that change leadership piece. Have they got those, particularly yep. in your your line of leadership? Yeah. Because if you haven't got it there, you're really hooped. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> yeah. Having having worked in a situation where I had very strong change leaders, understood when we were raising this, they thought implementing e-learning was a good way to go. When I asked what the real problem was, and they said, "Well, we don't see what people are learning in training show up an application in the workflow," I said, "Well, though we've got a very different conversation, yep. right?" Yep. And it was. From there, that the nuggets started to grow and this leader really took off and sustained for probably five years until she retired. Mm. And that was, boy, we got into governance impact because, well, another organization felt they were the learning organization within. So there was a, a lot of duking things out in terms of different stakeholders and perceptions and who they thought had power the governance mm -hmm. power in the organization, but it was that change leader who was able to start chipping away and across the C-suite organization. So there's mm -hmm. there's another model, which is Cotter's yep. change leadership, and he talks about getting 75% of the C-suite on board. So mm -hmm. you want that change leader to be up there working ac across that C-suite to get 75% of those players to buy in, and that's how you start to get a change truly implemented in an organization. So I, I think the pivot is that change leader. And then the other things come along, mm. right? And it's you need that change leader support to help you plow through the governance and the measurement and the funding, you know, but you've got to have that active player in the C-suite level. Mm. I think somebody at a tactical level is also a change leader if they're the one who's brought this to the organization. Mm. They've, they've done this adaptive response, right? And uh, challenging the status quo. So I don't think change leadership stops or stays at the strategic level. I think there are, are it happens all the sure. way through the impact, but it is a different way of thinking about change as opposed mm -hmm. to the standard change management. Yeah. Everyone has the possibility and responsibility to help in this journey. So Carol, Correct. as always, yeah. spectacular. So appreciate your insights. So much to be done in this area. So we'll be looking yes. forward to getting this out there. And as, as your listeners know, you know where we live, love feedback and follow up. Carol, thanks again so much for all right you on, do Bob. your insights and sharing today. Thanks. Right on. Thank you. Safe travels. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Bye now. All righty. Well, that's it for this episode of the Five Moments of Need Performance Matters series. We look forward to future conversations around how to best put the five moments of need into practice. 
We welcome your feedback and can be reached on Twitter using my Twitter handle at BMOSH, as well as our Five Moments of Need website, which is www.the5momentsofneed.com. We hope you're finding these helpful and will subscribe to future episodes. Have a great day, friends.